Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. If I can help you with your music career, whether that's becoming a client or just simply a private one-on-one online video consultation, by all means, let me know. I have been doing so for artists across the U.S. since 2004 and would love to help you as well. Get in touch through the email address podcast at nhte.net, which is also where you can write to with comments about the show. I'm always eager to hear from listeners with any feedback that you have. Joining me today on location in Alabama at the 37th Frank Brown International Songwriters Festival, my guest is a singer, songwriter, recording artist who just released a full album in mid-September that includes a song featuring Vince Gill. She has performed at legendary venues such as the Grand Ole Opry and the Bluebird Cafe, to name just two. Her music catalog goes back to 2010, and she has been featured on Sirius XM Radio. She has more than three-quarters of a million combined video views on her official YouTube channel and well over 100,000 followers on her Facebook page. You've been hearing a song of hers called The Beat of a Back Road. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Tia Goins. Thank you so much for having me. That, yeah, great to talk to you. I appreciate you making time today. I'm excited to be here. This is great. I, I'm looking forward to, to talking with you. Awesome, awesome. And I know this is an exciting time for you, what with the new album and being here at the Songwriters Festival. But let's start first by having you tell the audience about the song of yours that was just playing called The Beat of a Back Road. The Beat of a Back Road uh, really came from my real life uh, because my husband and I, we are high school sweethearts, have been, and we grew up in Missouri, and the town that we grew up in had nothing to do, literally. We had a Walmart, and that was about it. Like, you would go to Walmart on a Friday night, that was what we did. Um, so we would go cruise a lot. We would go find back roads and just drive around, and to this day, that is still our favorite thing to do. On a Sunday afternoon, we don't care if it's around the house, if it's where we live, if we just get on some road and go, let's see how far we can go in three hours and then turn around and drive back. I mean, we just, we loved a road trip. And uh, so that's really where this came from. I was laying in bed one night, um, it was probably two or three o'clock in the morning, and I started thinking about it and I thought, man, there's nothing better than when I'm in the car in the passenger seat and I feel the sunshine coming in. That's my favorite place to be. And so I kind of started thinking about that and I still, in fact, have the note on my phone where I was laying in bed typing out, nothing feels quite like the sweet kiss of sunlight. Like I, yeah. So I actually had the, the entire chorus pretty much written and um, we, we got together and started writing and, and the, the song was born. But yeah, it came from my favorite hobby. So when you just said, I pretty much had the entire chorus written, you mean before you went into the write? Yes, yes. Laying in, laying in bed that night, I had the chorus written. I, I was laying there, and I just thought, yeah. And, and I was like, these, I love to wear sunglasses. If you ever see me, I mean, I have them on right. I would have them on in this room if it was, you know, because I just love to wear my sunglasses. And so that's, it, it all came, that pro- song is probably the most authentic me song that's, that I've written. It just, that, that's who I am. I love to be in the car going somewhere. And for the audience, I'm here to attest to the fact that she does have her sunglasses hanging from her sweatshirt. As I mentioned, Tia and I are on location in Alabama, and guess what? The way that I'm able to record here in person with her is the same way that I'm able to record when I'm back in Tampa sitting in front of my recording rig talking to a guest who's calling in. Tia and I have our microphones XLR'd into the same device that is my audio interface when I'm back home doing interviews with guests who are not right there with me. I've been telling you over the last few episodes about Centrance, like the word entrance with a C in front of it, that makes this equipment and more specifically a version of this that's designed for musicians called the Mixer Face. Podcasters, yes, you can contact me via podcast at nhte.net if you want to ask me about the Centrance unit designed for those of us doing spoken word recordings, so to speak. But for any artist listening who wants to up their audio game, the Mixer Face is going to be the centerpiece of your studio at home. It has phantom power, so dynamic or condenser mics can be used. It has combi jacks, 
quarter inch and XLR so you can switch between microphone or instrument and I've mentioned before about the professional quality preamps for my audience there is an offer from Centrance when you buy through them by clicking the mixer face ad on nhte.net not only will they give free US shipping but when you put in the code Bruce you will get a free watertight accessory case to carry it in and just a note that ad on nhte.net is real noticeable in the right hand column if you're on desktop otherwise on mobile scroll way down to the bottom of the page to access that mixer face ad and get on your way to that offer as well as in investment that your fans will thank you for Tia, I've been blessed to get listeners to this show from 155 countries around the world. So for the folks just being introduced to you for the first time, fill them in on where you were raised. You just started to tip your hand on that. But then also when and why you moved to Nashville. I was born and raised in a small town called Lowry City, Missouri. It's central Missouri, located about an hour south of Kansas City. That's the best way to describe it. Um, very small town, less than 600 people. I mean, there was, yeah, we were out in the country. There was, you know, nothing, literally nothing. Everybody knew each other, and thus everybody knew each other's business. Exactly. <laughs> very, very true, yeah. So that's actually where I was raised, and I started singing uh, very young when I was in church. Uh, I think the first solo I ever sang, I was three. So, you know, singing was kind of in my blood. My grandmother had been a, a singer, kind of a regional act around Kansas City. She played a lot of the clubs and things around there. So I kind of had that you know, in my bloodline, and uh, I loved to just sing. My mom has cassette tapes of me in my room when I was a kid, just la 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 la, just, I was always humming, and I still do that to this day. <laughs> my husband will catch me sometimes going, you're singing, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. Um, but yeah, so I moved to Nashville after college, um, finished up college in Kansas City, moved to Nashville with the intent of, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to sing, I want to make music, and um, I made a few records uh, starting in 2010, that were they they were country records that they were I was doing other people's music I had tried my hand at songwriting when I first moved to town and it just didn't really feel like something that I was gifted to do I thought you know I, I don't know if that's my thing I, I tried and and so anyway I, I started doing music and making records and I was doing other people's music which was fine and I enjoyed that and I'm on record as saying I'm not a songwriter I'm not a songwriter I don't do that and um, anyway, so I did these these four albums, and um, things had gone great. I've traveled a lot and got to do a lot of shows and do a lot of television appearances and things like that. And um, just you know, being in Nashville, I think it just there there's an there's an artistic vibe there that you can't hardly miss out on. So I think I always said that my creative end, where I wasn't writing my music at that time was that I was an interpreter. I loved to interpret other songwriters' music and find songs that maybe have even been recorded before and find a different way of telling that story. So I felt like that was sort of my creative outlet. But yeah, I had, I had, um, I had said that I was not going to, to do songwriting. I had, I had pretty well made that clear to myself. And because when I was doing it early, early on, and I didn't have a lot of, no one was really going, oh, you should record that song. You know, I thought, well, I'm not good at it. I must, I must not be good at it. And I have a tendency to be pretty self-conscious and a little insecure anyway, as most artists are. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was why I, I had never really pursued it any more than that. So let's back up. So you went to college where? I went to college at Longview Community College uh, in Lee Summit, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Okay, and so when you went to Nashville, it was, I'm going to be a performer, but was there in between some performing that you were doing somewhere? Yeah, I'm sorry. I probably skipped that part, didn't I? Yeah, whenever I was um, eight years old, I was in a country, I was in a talent show at a country music show. It was called the Truman Lake Opry. And I didn't win that talent show. But a few months later, they called and they said, we would like to invite you to become a member of our show and play here every weekend. So from the time I was eight until I was 19, every weekend, I performed with a live band in front of a live audience. Every weekend. Every well, weekend. Tell the listeners how big my eyes just got I know. It that. sounds wow. crazy. And let me tell you, when I remember when they called and my mom sat me down, because you know, you're what, second grade? You're a kid. And my mom sits me down and goes, now are you, do you really, are you sure you want to do this? Because you're going to miss a lot of slumber parties. You're going to miss a lot of, you know, football games and things that you are going to want to go do and what and I was like I don't care mom that's what I want to do because I want to be a singer you know and I think really my mom was going 
do I want to drive you there every weekend? Do I want to commit <laughs> every weekend of my life to doing this? You know, um, but but she did, and my parents were they have been amazing supporters and encouragers throughout the whole. Your thing. mom's like, please say I don't want to miss the slumber party, so <laughs> right? I can just drive you yeah, once a month. Yeah, my mom wanted some Saturday some Saturday nights to herself, I'm sure, but no, but they were great, and um, so I did that until um, I started college, and then I did college, and then I knew, and you know, I I really my focus. I have a tendency, I'm a real uh, goal-oriented person. So all through my grade school years and my high school years and college, I was so focused on getting to Nashville that I didn't even pay attention to what was happening around me. So I don't have a whole lot of memories from those years because I was just Nashville-bound, you know. But yeah, but I moved there right after college. It completely didn't know one soul in town. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Hmm. Well, let's talk about your sound because, follow me on this. I mentioned in the intro that your music catalog goes back to 2010. On iTunes, your new album is listed in the country category. I also read a statement that said, quote, Tia says that it was a diverse influx of music that made her feel impervious to any one genre, end quote. And then in your bio for here at the Frank Brown Festival, it refers to you, quote unquote, as re-emerging as an Americana artist. Would you say... You are country, you are Americana, or is it maybe singer-songwriter, or is it a case of as long as folks are connecting with my music, that's more important than whatever label I choose to put on it? Right now, it's about the connection for me. That's this whole songwriting um, thing that has taken place in my life over the last 18 months. I've learned so much, and I've had my eyes open to so many things through that. And what I'm realizing now is... I want my music to matter in a way that it helps people, that it's, that I'm able to offer something that people are going to be able to go, I'm going to use that in my life. I'm going to use that lesson in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's really something that's important to me. Um, I would classify the music, I guess, as I would say it's country because I'm just a country person. That was what I was raised on. That was what I did my whole life. I was singing traditional country music for the most part as well, more kind of the, you know, more standard country kind of stuff. Um, And so my heart has always kind of been in that place. But I also listened to so many different styles of music as I was growing up. When I got into junior high and high school, a lot of things were opened up to me that I didn't even realize. Such as? Frank Sinatra, for number one. Wow. Oh, my gosh. When I was in, I believe it was seventh, eighth grade, maybe, uh, Sinatra brought out his duets album. And I had never heard of him. And really, growing up, when I say I was a country music kid growing up, I didn't know other music existed. I can remember being in grade school and kids talking about Madonna and Michael Jackson, and I had no idea who that was. No idea. I was excited about Grandpa Jones. Like, it was it was a whole other thing. So I was really very sheltered as far as the music that I was exposed to as a child. And when I got into junior high, uh, the Sinatra Duets record came out, and I started seeing promotion about it and going, what is this music? What is this? This big band, this you know, that American songbook stuff. And I got so turned on to Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and all, you know, Rosemary Clooney and all that great stuff. And so... Um, Did all of a sudden you said, Patsy Cline, please forgive me? Right. However... But, <laughs> however, if you think about it, Patsy Cline sort of had that style as well. Ray Price sort of could... You could kind of go that way. And I thought, wait a minute, those kind of... You can almost mix the two. Like, they kind of have a thing. And then I was exposed to the Beatles. The Beatles anthology came out. Again, I was like a kid in 1960 hearing him for the first time. I was like, wait, who are these guys? Like, what's going on? And so I became just enamored. I had posters of the Beatles hanging up in my room in high school. And I'm like, this was in the 90s. So it was strange. But, um, yeah, so I was really starting to learn. And then when I met my husband, we were, like I said earlier, high school sweethearts. He started exposing me to a lot of classic rock. And we went to Styx concerts. And so, you know, so I was, I was all over the place. Um, hearing all of this music and just absorbing all of it. So you put all that in a blender and it came out as this new album of yours. When I started writing, all of a sudden I realized, whoa, that's, oh, and that sounds sort of like this. And this sort of has that kind of a vibe and this kind of, yeah, hence the name of the album all over the map. Here's the neat thing. Prior to getting started into what would become this new album that you have, you went through a period of reassessment 
This coincided with the pandemic, by the way, audience, when lots and lots and lots of performers found themselves, as you can attest, sitting at home wondering what might or might not be next. Did you, Tia, ever get to that scary place of doubt, meaning fearing that maybe your days as a singer, songwriter, recording artist were behind you, or were you able to stay optimistic? Um, doubt, yes, uh, a lot of that. I ha- I have a tendency to be a doubter in pretty much any instance. I'm just meeting you for the first time, but I doubt that. You think so? Yeah, I just, I, I do. I have a tendency to kind of, uh, you know, I'm, I, I always say... I'm not necessarily a glass half empty person, but I'm just happy there's something in the glass. But it's like, I I do have a tendency to kind of go, well, it could be a worse, I can always come up with a worst case scenario. I'm really good at that. The glass might be half full, but I bet you it's hot water though. But it's probably not, yeah, it's not, yeah, exactly. That's totally me. So I, you know, during the pandemic, everything stopped and that stopped for everyone. It wasn't just for me. I know that everyone went through those moments of going, what, what happens next? Where is the, you know, and I did, I reassessed my career. Um, I hadn't made a record since 2017. So it had been three years since I had done anything anyway. And I was sort of at a point where I thought, I don't know that I really want to continue to do what I've been doing. And I was wanting to kind of do something different, but I didn't know where to go from there. And when you say something different, are you talking outside of music or just a different direction with just music? A different with, just a different direction with the music. But I also thought maybe this is maybe the music maybe it's over. I haven't made a record in three years. Maybe this is maybe this is the big finale. Like maybe that was the it. whole pandemic happened maybe just so pandem- that Tia Goins would get the could, hint. Could get the hint. Stop. You're, you're good. <laughs> we get it. Yeah. And so I did. And I remember going through my mind and thinking, what else would I do if if I didn't do music? And I have always made it. And this is just something that I would encourage anyone who uh, is wanting to have a career in music or entertainment or anything in that way. But know that you are more than just your talent. Know, know who you are. Who you are and what you do are two totally separate entities. Um, I think because so many times we can get wrapped up in, well, I'm a singer. Well, okay, what if tomorrow I woke up and my voice didn't work? Am I still, do I, do I still have purpose? Do I still have, yeah, you do. That's just what you do. But, but who are you? You know, and really knowing, having that foundation of who you are. So that's something thankfully that I learned early on um, to to look at things that way and I thought okay well if I'm not going to sing what are the other things that I feel like I'm gifted in that I could do what, how can I help people that's always been my thing is helping people so in fact when I went to college I, I had planned I got my background or my, my backup plan uh, was to maybe work with older folks uh, do like nursing home administration and things like that to be able to help people um, I've tossed around being a therapist or a counselor or things like that you know that's just what I really enjoy doing so I did those things crossed my mind and I thought maybe it's time to to go into something totally different I don't know if music is going to be the way for me and um, a series of events happened um, with my management and with some things that were totally out of my control and all of a sudden that was all gone and I was completely left at ground zero as a starting over point which at that point it was pretty scary and fear has been for the last 18 months of my life fear and learning how to do it afraid that has been a big big lesson for me because you can be afraid to do stuff but if you can actually see it and go okay I'm scared but I'm going to take the step it took me a long time to learn that and it was very hard and it was very very scary for me but now I preach it everywhere I go I'm like even if it seems scary, even if it seems like something that seems impossible, take the first step. And if it's the right step, it'll lead to the next step. And that's that's really where I have lived for the last year or so. And, and it has been an incredible journey. Um, and the opportunities that have come from it, I know, because when things got really quiet, when everything was pulled out from under me, and I thought, okay, I'm here, and I'm sitting at the very bottom. I'm literally starting over right now. It got quiet, and I think when I had the time to not be thinking about anything else, I could hear God a lot clearer. And that was when I felt like I heard God say, it's time to write. And I remember that day. I remember it clearly. I remember I was in my car, and I, I was like, no, I don't do that. You know I don't do that. You know I tried that. That's not what I do. I'm not doing that. No, 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 no. You got the wrong guy. That's not me. 
And I remember really fighting it and going, no, I, I, that's, I, don't, I don't write. I, I, I've gone on record saying I don't write. I'm not, I'm not a writer. That's not. And it was very persistent. I was like, it's time to write. It's time to write. And um, the story goes on um, that <laughs> my friend Mo Pitney, who is another uh, country artist, he had put a record out in August of 2020. And it was a fantastic record. Mo's a very talented songwriter, singer-songwriter. And I, the morning it came out, I went out for my walk and I listened to the record from top to bottom. And I thought, oh, it's so good. It's so Mo. It's just great. It's wonderful. And I looked up the production on it, and, and Mo had written a good part of the music, and it was produced by Jim Moose Brown. And uh, I didn't know him. I, I didn't know Jim Moose Brown. I knew his name. But um, four years prior... In 2017, I had gotten an email or a Facebook message from Jim Moose Brown, who I only knew as the guy that wrote It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. I was going to say, I let know. me <laughs> let me pause you so I can <laughs> okay. fill the audience in. Yes. So, folks, and I really should like say, go ahead and pause the podcast so you can pull your car over and exhale, because those of you that are listening to this while you're driving, I feel like kind of exhausted myself, like like you had me and that story my gosh it's so emotional and it's so kind of draining to listen to you but I'm saying this in a good way and I'm just the one that's sitting here listening to you tell it and you're the one that had to live it and I can imagine going through this day after day and this doubt and this questioning and P.S. the whole world is in this pandemic and so you're kind of distracted with other things and I'm just ready to like lounge back in this chair that I'm sitting in and exhale. And, and if I smoked, I would light a cigarette. I mean, this is, wow. It's pretty intense. Wow. It is. It really is. And when I look back on it, I think I've never thought of myself as someone who was a strong person. I've always just, but now I look back and I think, wow, I, I really took some chances. And I took, I really beat, got beat up for a while and, and allowed doubt and fear to beat me up for a while. I did. And, and if, I think if I hadn't decided, no, I'm going to do it. I, if I feel like I'm being called to do this, it can't be the wrong thing. And if I take the first step. But the other side of it is, and I just mentioned this this morning, the folks who organized the Frank Brown Festival were kind enough to ask me to put on a Promoting Your Music Career seminar. And I was telling the folks this morning that we hear so much about mental health these days. And what you've described there it would be so easy to just let that win basically first round knockout and the boxing match is over with and you stood toe to toe for all 12 rounds and you probably lost some rounds and took some some body shots and maybe some uppercuts but you just kept fighting through it and you said no I'm meant to go through this and when I come out of it I'm going to have some cuts I'm going to have some wounds and my head might be knocked around a little bit but once the cobwebs are clear like, I'm going to see that I was meant to go through this for a reason, and there's going to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I know that sounds corny, but give me a break. It's the first thing that popped in The scars are the stories. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's really, when you think about it, your scars are really the times that those are the moments that changed you. Well, and sadly, when you're a songwriter, those are the things that you're going to draw from that and you then, go, okay, good, now exactly. I have stuff to write about. <laughs> Where I was going initially, audience... Jim Moose Brown, he's a Grammy-nominated producer, songwriter, studio musician, and member of Bob Seger's Silver Bullet Band. So please resume, Tia. How did you get introduced to him? And then also share with the audience, by the way, about your first meeting with him, meaning the fact that y'all were not in the same room together, as well as what your mindset was then. Four years ago, uh, this was in 2017, I got a message on Facebook from him. And we had some mutual friends on Facebook, but we were not friends. And I, I knew who he was, but that was about it. And he messaged me and said, um, I just saw a video of you singing. Who are you? I've never heard of you. What's the deal? Whatever, you know. And I thought, well, that's nice. I, I don't really know him, but what a sweet thing to say. You know, what a nice compliment. So anyway, he put his phone number on there. So I called him, and, and we talked on the phone for a little bit. And he said, well, I would just love to work with you in any way. He said, even if it's, you know, we just wrote together, did something like that. And I said, well, I don't write, but thank you. And I really appreciate it. And it means so much that you, you know, appreciate my talent and my music, whatever. So we became friends on Facebook, and we would interact back and forth some. Like I said, we had mutual friends, but we had never met in person. So fast forward 
to 2020 when Mo Pitney's record comes out and I see that Jim Moose Brown is the one that has produced it. And I reached back out to him on Facebook and just said, hey, I enjoyed that record so much. It was great. Good job. And I sent Mo Pitney a message as well and said, awesome. Really good. Within like 30 minutes, Moose messages me back. And he goes, hey, thank you. I really appreciate that. He said, my, my offer still stands. Wow. He said, if you, if you ever want to work together, just, just writing or anything like that. So as I've had for the last about four weeks, this consistent, it's time to write, it's time to write, it's time to write, where I had been like, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, I don't think, I'm, I don't think that's what I'm supposed to do. And then I have a Grammy-nominated songwriter say, even if you just want to write sometime, and I went, huh, well, I guess that's maybe a sign. Maybe I should, maybe I should not turn that down. So... Uh, we, we talked back and forth over Facebook, and I said, look, man, I, I haven't written in a long time, and I don't even know if I'm good at it, and I'm uh, just really, it, I don't even know if it's my thing, but I've been feeling really led to do it. And he said, well, let's do it. Let's just meet up. And he said, even if we don't write, let's just meet up and, and just, you know, introduce each other and talk. And I said, okay. So we met up at his studio for the first time introduced ourselves to each other we sat down for about an hour and just you know where are you from what's your story he's from Arkansas I'm from Missouri so we kind of have that you know in common and you know the thing about if you're from either of those states you give grief to the other state that's oh. the whole thing everything I thought it was we had in common that we're not originally from Nashville <laughs> yeah. well there's that too but no one from Nashville is originally true, from Nashville true. so you know just like that. just like all of us Floridians exactly we're not really Everyone's from a there transplant. but yeah. yeah so we talked about that and you know I kind of told him my story up to that point where I was just sort of everything had changed and I was kind of just a, a duck out of water wait, waiting to figure out what was next and so he said well, what do you want to write and I go uh, uh well um huh let me I said well I I was kind of I had this thought the other day and I said you know we've we've been I've been stuck at home for the last six months and my husband's been working from home and so we have literally been just side by side for six months, solid, locked in the house together. And I said, and I, I've actually really quite enjoyed it. Like, it's been wonderful. Where a lot of people are, like, splitting up and breaking up and everything. And I'm like, we really are having the time of our life. Like, it's kind of like a vacation. We love it. And, uh, and I said, so I was kind of thinking maybe something around that and, and how easy he makes when everything else has just been out of control. The whole world has been wild you know, but when I'm with him, it doesn't seem so bad. And he pulled his keyboard out and he said, do you kind of have an idea of like the feel that you want for this? And I said, just, just something laid back and, and just, you know, and he kind of starts in and, and I started singing and I don't even, we didn't even have, I don't think we had any lyric. We were just kind of humming and, and making up a melody as we went. And I was like, this, I don't know what this is, but this, this is what, this is what I have been longing for, for a long time that I didn't even realize I needed it. And that first day we were together, we wrote the song Easy that's on this record. Yeah. And we wrote it in, I don't know, a couple of hours. And when we finished, we were both just like, whoa, like we did a thing. So all you had was the idea for the song. You didn't have the hook. You didn't have the title. I, you didn't have I the had, melody. I had easy. I knew, you know, just that it was yeah, easy. Yeah, And wow. And I kind of had the idea. Wow. But, yeah, as far as any lyrics or anything, no, we didn't mm. really have. Mm. I'm joined today on location at the Frank Brown International Songwriters Festival in Alabama by singer, songwriter, recording artist Tia Goins. Visit her official website at tiagoins.com. I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. On her website, you can purchase her new album, which is called All Over the Map, as well as previous releases. There are also links to connect with Tia on social media, meaning Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. You'll also see an icon there for Spotify, so you can go follow her there. However, the better way to support Tia is to purchase downloads of her music from the likes of Apple Music or Amazon, both of which there are links to on her website. Keep up with her online as well so you can see where and when you can go see her perform live. For those of you who have been hearing me talk for a while now about the online on-demand class that I launched at interviewtipscourse.com and say, I don't need that, I do just fine when I get interviewed, 
I challenge you to ask yourself, what have you gotten out of the interviews that you've done? If all you have to show for them is just a long list of interviews, but no bookings, no sales, no new clients, well, then you don't do just fine when you get interviewed. Take advantage of all my years, not only interviewing guests on this show every week since February 2014, but all my years working in the Olympic movement and in the National Hockey League, working with the world's press and with athletes, coaches, and executives, not to mention getting my own, now hear this clients, interviewed. At interviewtipscourse.com, I'm giving you close to 30 tips to help you succeed when you are interviewed on TV, radio, podcasts, and more. Plus, there are more than 15 sources you can use to find interviews. Don't just put it on autopilot and go through the motions. Go to interviewtipscourse.com now to get started. Tia, we were talking about Moose Brown and this new album. I mentioned back in the intro that one of the songs on the album features none other than Vince Gill. How did that come to be, and how did that make you feel to learn that he would be part of this project? It was uh, very surreal, I can say that. Um, we were we had written a song, and I'm, I'm so proud of that particular song. Uh, it's called That's What I Know. And this song really is, again, it, it stemmed kind of from my 2020 experience about how it's so easy to complain about everything that's going on in the world, and it's so easy to be ugly and grouchy about all those things but instead why don't we step back and and think of the things that bring us the comfort and the things that are good and the things that we know to be good they are always going to far outweigh the bad if if we'll ever if we'll ever just give them the chance they will always be more than the bad so that's really what that song was about and so when we had we'd cut just a demo on it uh, out at Moose's studio and and uh we were listening back and we were like man that's actually kind of good because it was just very minimal and there wasn't a lot going on it was just you know and uh, Moose said who would you he said do you have anybody that you like to use for background vocals is there anybody you prefer or whatever and I said no not really I said you can sing the background vocals you know because Moose is a great singer I said if you if you want to do it whatever and he goes yeah he goes what about Vince and I know I looked at him like well okay sure if you want to start at the bottom of the list I guess I guess if we can just you know maybe be, and I and I was like well that would be great and he goes well I'll call him and I said well all right and and I know Vince but we you know I wouldn't call us like besties or anything you know we know each other but I you know I don't have his number on speed dial put it that way and so anyway he calls him and Vince was like oh yeah I would love to I love her yeah let's let's do it I was like is this real life like what is happening and so he came in and and put the part down and what I love about it is Vince Gill, he has, I mean, obviously, he's such a super talent in every aspect, singer, songwriter, player, picker, all the things, Um, but his voice just has such a comfort, like, that is what his voice is, it's a comfort, and in this particular song, like I said, it's about finding those things that bring us peace, and so when his vocal comes in, it's just like this big hug around you, you know, and, and he just, what he did with it, and some of the, some of the little just the tiny little nuances of things that he did, the way he moved around me. And it, it just, oh, it's amazing. And every time I hear it, I get goosebumps when he comes in. It's amazing. And I'm so thankful that he would want to be a part of it. And for the audience, if you didn't hear my interview a couple of weeks ago with Bill Schnee, who has a resume that could fill up an entire episode, he told a cool story when he worked on the Carly Simon album that had Your So Vain on it. And the fact that Mick Jagger did background vocals and you are so vain that very, very few people know that. And go back and listen. I'll put a link on the episode page for Tia's interview on nhte.net so you can go back and listen to Bill tell that story. Tia, let's put the album aside for a second and talk about the Songwriters Festival that we're both here in town for. Is this your first time at Frank Brown? And then I know you've only performed once so far, but what was kind of your hope in coming to this event? This was my first time. Um, like I said, this songwriting thing has just been going on for the last year or so in my world. So I, I am as newbie as you can be in, in situations like this. Um, Moose and Don Sampson, uh, they, they have come down here for years and, and played. And Moose said, I want you to come and I want you to be part of this with us. And so he invited me um, and we did our first show uh, Thursday night. 
and it was incredible. I love, I have always preferred to play smaller venues with a real listening audience. No matter what songs I'm singing, whether they be mine or someone else's, it's so much easier to interact with an audience when they care, when they're actually listening and paying attention and you can really tell your story and feel like you get to know them and they get to know you and there's just, I, I, I love that atmosphere. And we were in the uh, Coastal Arts Center in Orange Beach, which is a beautiful room and everyone there was so kind. Afterwards, you know, everybody just came up and they were just so sweet and, and it was a really, it was, it was just, a, it was a wonderful experience. It was everything that I had thought that it would be. And because I know when people come here, if you make the trip to come be a part of the Frank Brown, you want to hear music. You want to listen to music. It's important to you. And it's not just the background noise going on. It's, I want to know the story. I want to hear why this song is important. I want to know where it came from. And so I knew when we were coming here to play that this was the kind of audience that they care, they pay attention. And so that's, I, I love that. And I'm looking forward. We've got a couple of shows tonight that I'm, I'm really excited yeah, about. Yeah, the years that I've been coming to Frank Brown is one of the many things that I love about this festival is that they really do such a wonderful job of creating a listening room environment in so many different venues. And so for the performers, you know that the audience is 100% dialed in and it's just the exact opposite of getting stuck in a sports bar where your background music and the people love the storytelling as much as they love the song that accompanies the story that you tell. Yes, and I, I love to be able to tell the stories. I love to have that opportunity because not all shows and venues really allow for that kind of a thing where you can really go, let me give you a little backstory. Let me tell you a little bit of why this song was created. You know, you don't get always get the chance. And so things like this, um, this is just, this has been a wonderful experience. So speaking of performing at events and venues, I mentioned in the intro two prestigious venues that you have performed at. I believe you've made multiple appearances at the Grand Ole Opry and at least once, if not more, at the Bluebird Cafe. What memories do you have of those experiences? Anything specific? Um, I have I have had the honor of playing the Grand Ole Opry 11 times. Whoa. I know, right? Wow. Yeah, it's still I, it's weird even saying that it's like wow because that's what I dreamt of when I was a kid I have pictures that I drew of me on stage at the Opry like that was the goal that was it you know so it's it is it's very unbelievable for me to this day um, the first time I ever had the opportunity to play the Opry um, we had a very unlikely snowstorm in Nashville it very rarely snows in Nashville and we ended up there was this it was middle of January and this snowstorm blew through. It was on a Friday night. And my husband, in fact, had come home from work early. And we were like, we were in for the night. We were getting ready to, you know, pop some popcorn and put on our comfy clothes and watch the snow fall. And about 3 o'clock, I get a phone call from a number that I don't recognize. So I thought, well, let it go to voicemail. Don't we all? So the voicemail comes on, and I check it. And it says, hey, Tia, this is Steve Gibson, uh, music director at the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, we've had a few people that can't make it in tonight because of the snow. Do you think you could make it in to play tonight? And by the way, we're at the Ryman. Are you kidding? I would have walked through the snow to have gotten there. I was like, Popcorn and comfy. Yeah. <laughs> or do I? Or do I live my dream right now? Yeah. So I had what was really actually probably great for me about the whole situation was I had no time to think about it and get nervous because it was like three in the afternoon. I had enough time to go to the closet, grab the first thing that I could see that I to wear get myself together, jump minute. in the car. Second thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> jump in the this car. This is the Opry. I'm not grabbing the first thing. <laughs> right, <like I> <laughs> right. Luckily, we uh, we had a four-wheel drive vehicle, so we could get through the snow. And we're from Missouri, so we know how to navigate snow. No big deal. We're fine, you know. So we drive. So the very first time I was able to play the Opry uh, was during a snowstorm, but I got to perform on stage at the Ryman Auditorium the first time. And um, it was great because, and every time that I had played the Opry up into the last couple of times, it's always happened to be either in the winter months when they're at the Ryman, or it was during the flood when we had the big flood and the Opry House was closed for a couple of years and while they were restoring the Opry House. So I had done the Opry, I had done the Ryman, Opry at the Ryman, nine times. So my 10th time doing the Opry, they called when we had put the, the album, or we were getting ready to put, release the album, and they said, would you like to play the Opry House? 
on the day that the that your album's released. Are you kidding? Again, I, I couldn't believe that they would have offered me that day. So the first time I ever played the Grand Ole Opry House on the big wooden circle where everyone has stood, I sang my own words on that circle at the Opry House. And so when the Hollywood director finished t- pitching this all to you and said, we want to fly you out to California <laughs> to make this movie. I mean, that's what it sounds like. You know, from, from the little girl who drew the pictures and now it's happening. Uh, P.S., you know, album release. It's like mm, Hollywood probably couldn't have done it any better than that. It's th- my story continues to amaze me because it's and I've said this before. God has opened doors that I would have never knocked on. There are things that have happened in my life that if I would have tried to make them happen, I couldn't have. You know what I mean? But there's just been these moments. And especially with this and this writing thing and and the therapy that the writing brought me. You talked about mental health earlier. It's so important to me. It is such a real thing, and it is so important to me. And I've learned that even more through songwriting, of being able to get all those things that are in you out and being able to hopefully help someone else that might be going through the same thing and being able to use my talents in a way that it's actually beneficial to other people. It's not just, oh, pretty voice or a pretty song or whatever. No, I need this to, I need this to have meat. I need this to help somebody. And I want, I want that. That's what I really want my music to be. And so, yeah, it is, it's a, it's an unbelievable story. And I feel like I have a purpose with this writing and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm just, I can't wait to share it with people and for people to hear it and to, to get to know who I am and doing things like this, which I really appreciate what you do. What you do is awesome. And um, so, yeah, this is is great. I do want to make sure that we talk about your YouTube channel, since I had mentioned at the start of this episode that you've got more than three quarters of a million combined video views on there. One of the reasons I'm sure you're having that kind of success is not only having well over 7,000 subscribers, by the way, but just like me with delivering a new episode of the show on time every week for more than seven and a half years, you're being consistent. There's a lot of content that has been added to your channel over the last couple of months, especially, not to mention a series called Couch Covers that you were doing last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, the YouTube thing kind of, it's been interesting. I've had my YouTube channel for a long time, but like you said, I learned that, you know what, unless I'm really being consistent here, it's it's not going to do any good. It's just going to sit there. No one's just going to wander onto my YouTube page. That doesn't really happen. You know, you've got to be active on it. And so during the pandemic, uh, this was even before I was writing, this was early in 2020, in the wintertime, actually, uh, my friend Ben Hall, he's a fantastic guitar player, um, I had him come over to the house, and we sat on our old leather couch, and we would play cover songs, and so we called it Couch Covers. And we recorded, I don't know, six or eight of those things, and we were releasing them about once, oh, I don't know, every three weeks or something. I'm confused. You batch recorded and then just kind of released them periodically or he came over six or seven or eight times he came over and i think we would do maybe three songs each time i think is kind of how we did that um we would change clothes and make it different times yeah yeah but but and yeah and so there and the great thing is is in and you know i my husband and i we have learned so much production kind of stuff and yeah it's on a budget and yeah it's with iphones and it's it's not we don't have a ton of big fancy equipment or anything you know we've got a mic and my husband thank god he's an electronics guy and so he bought a little board and we you know he can run the sound and whatever because really they sound great and i was really pleased with you know all of that kind of stuff that we were doing but um yeah we you can make shift a lot of things and i think that's what it seems overwhelming at times and what's great is there's a ton of stuff online that you can find there's a lot of you know help out there that you can get um but it's it is really important and the couch covers was sort of the start and then when the when we started to when we were releasing uh, all over the map we did a single a week leading up to the release of the record and um that was sort of a challenge because i decided that i wanted a lyric video and a music video and um you know to be able to release that every week and Again, my husband, he's brilliant, and I could not have done this record, honestly, without him. He was so great. He's my cameraman. He's my photographer. He's all those things, you know. 
Um, but I learned um, how to use Final Cut Pro and how to use a lot of those, you know, different editing softwares and things. So I did all of my own lyric videos. Wow. I made all of those myself. Wow. <laughs> and again, I was so scared, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to try it. And if it, and, and I have a pretty high scale of rating. Like if this looks amateur, I'm going to know that it looks amateur and then I'll, and then I'll find a professional. But I thought, you know what? I think I can make it. I think I can do it. And I would do it and send it to my team, my, my agent, my, my publicist to be like, how does this look? And they were like, oh, that looks, I think that's okay. And I was like, okay. And we did a few music videos with Beat of the Back Road. We have a music video for that. That's literally my husband and I in our car making a music video. There's a one scene in particular, and this is so funny, um, where I'm like writing in the passenger window, you know, you can kind of see me hanging out the window. We had our brand new iPhone 12s duct taped to the rear view mirror to the the side mirror while and that was the vi- like you know but we were like why not let's see what that's like because we had we had talked about doing an actual music video and had talked to a couple of friends of ours that do that for like that's actually what they do and they said oh yeah we can get a car camera thing rig and all this and it's it's only about five thousand dollars and i was like <laughs> well guess what we're on tia's budget so yeah. we don't have that kind of $5, a thing thousand dollars i'll get back that's to you. okay not, i'm getting back to you uh, yeah that's no. gonna be a big no and so brandon goes I think we can, I think we can maybe do that with, let's just try it. And so, you know, you, if you go back and you look at those videos, we've got, we've got that one and we did one and that's what I know, uh, the one with Vince Gill. Um, we did a video in my hometown with that. We went back to Missouri and did everything. So it's all places of where I learned the things. And, um, you know, so I think that that actually added even more to the creative side of making this record. I had my hand in every part of it and the YouTube thing, um, being very consistent and every week I knew on Tuesdays I was going to release this video and on Thursdays I was going to release the lyric video and then we also did a video segment of Moose and I in the studio talking about the, the origin of the songs which again we just set up two iPhones and Brandon did that and we made it look like a documentary see, that's a fun <laughs> sort of new challenge for you insofar as you're on a deadline Whereas with songwriting and with recording and production, eh, sort of, but sort of not. And all of a sudden, it's, okay, we're going to release a song a week leading up to this, so this stuff has to be in. And I want to also throw in as a sort of recommendation, maybe just more of an awareness. Tia talked about doing it herself. You know, I have a client who, when her single came out earlier this year, she told me, I'm just going to get someone on Fiverr to do a lyric video for me and she almost said it sort of apologetically sort of I don't have my hopes up and it came out tremendous and it doesn't mean that she paid five dollars on it as we know from Fiverr but it came out so good that I told her I hope you're thrilled with that because again you don't have to pay someone five thousand dollars and mind you that probably would have just been for the car just camera, the camera. <laughs> yeah, so not, never mind the, 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 the production and so, everything else. But, yeah. but now you also have this new skill that you're going to go, oh, what else can I do? Maybe I'll make a, a video when, of my Frank Brown experience, you know, everything there and, and take it home and put it all together myself in Final Cut Pro and have something to show people of what I did while I was in Orange Beach. It is. It's, it's really it, that alone. And, and I, this is something else that I learned over the last year. I've never considered myself a great learner. Um, I was always smart in school and whatnot, but I don't feel like I retain information well, so I've always kind of kept myself from, well, I don't think I can learn that. I don't think I can figure that out. And when it was dropped in my lap of, if you don't figure it out, it's going to cost you, so you've got to. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I can. Maybe. And so that re- it, it really uh, brought my confidence up in going, okay, I can learn things. I can. And if I mess up, I mess up, but yeah. I can at least try. And so um, being able to put those things like that together, and, and I did all the album artwork, and we did all of that kind of stuff. And just, I mean, I have, like I said, my, my hands are in all of this. I created my, all my merch, all the logos and things on my merch. I created all that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's cool, and it also gives it a little bit of a personal touch. So I just threw out that silly little go home and make a video of everything you did at Frank Brown. But bigger picture, what is next for you after Frank Brown? Do you feel pressure? to try to get out and perform live more so as to promote the new album? I do, I, and that's that's really um, what we're working on right now. We're, we're coming up with some ideas about, because obviously we're still 
pandemic-ish right now with live, with performing live, and it's a little bit difficult. Um, I'm very thankful that I have a great agent that's trying to help me, you know, get booked out more. But and I also know that I, over the last 10 years, and then this year, I've taken a bit of a turn as to what audiences I'm. I'm playing for, you know what I mean? Because I'm kind of doing a different thing now. And so I threw him a curve by going, hey, by the way, now we're doing this. So, you know, so I know um, it's really been fun to kind of come up with things. We're looking at maybe doing a residency in Nashville and playing at some places there and, and kind of over the winter time, you know, doing that kind of a thing. Um, so that's that's really, right now, that's what I'm focused on is, is working on that, doing some songwriters residencies around Nashville. Um, and playing as much as we can outside and doing things like this festival, playing these writers' festivals. I really enjoy that. Like I said, this is my kind of audience because I think that's the most gratifying thing for a songwriter is to have people that want to hear you and want to listen. And so um, that, that's, I think, more, more of this um, and just smaller venues. That's, again, that's where my heart is. And so audience, I always encourage you all the more reason to follow these guests online so you could see what ends up getting booked for Tia, when and where. We're going to close today with another song off the new album, a track called Untangled. Before I let you go and I play that song, share with the audience all about this song, if you would, please. This is probably the deepest song on the album. Um, This came from a very, very real place for me. Um, I think we've all been in a situation where we felt like we couldn't quite get out of it, um, whether it be a relationship or maybe a job or um, just something that that was we felt tied down Um, for me it was mental health kind of stuff it was my head and my thoughts and getting so wrapped up in what I was thinking that I couldn't I was believing not every thought that comes through your mind is true (laughs) and having to learn that and go wait a minute, that's not right. You know, that's not true. Wait a minute, the cops aren't looking for me. Wait a minute, this is not, yeah. And and I really do. I I have struggled with that for a long time. And so um, when Moose and I sat down that day, I I remember I was just really dealing with some stuff and and you can call it a writing session or you can call it a therapy session, which, whichever you want it to be. But I, I mean, tears were shed and I was really, you know, I was, I was really dealing with this and a lot of angst, just kind of frustration. And, um, he sat down behind his piano and and kind of started this this just this ding, ding thing and and I was like yeah and and I had the word untangled written in my notebook and I said that's what it is is I just want to get untangled I just want to get out out of this and I'm not sure because that's the thing you can untie a knot but it's a different story when it's a tangle you know, just like you get a necklace tangled, that's a situation. Like, that takes some time and some effort, and you've really got to piece through it, and you get one part done, and then you've got another part that's tangled, and it's, you know, it's not just a a clean break, and that was, um, I just felt like, and it's been interesting, when we perform this song, uh, I got a message from someone um, on Facebook that had heard it, and they said, um, I was in an abusive physically abusive relationship for a lot of years and you wrote my you wrote my thoughts which that wasn't at all where it came from on my end but that's where they heard it and I had another person reach out which is a completely different thing but he said I just got back from the doctor and found out that I have diabetes and I've got to break this this food thing that this addiction to food that I have and this song helped and I was like whoa I was like wow, I didn't, you know, you don't realize how words can relate to people and how we're all so different, but we're all the same. Deep down, we're all the same. We all go through these things. But just to hear from different people and different stories. So this, this Untangled to me is probably one of the most meaningful songs. And it was, it was extremely therapeutic for me. I came out of it a different person because I finally let it go. And I think that was what really untangled me the most. Thank you for bringing me to the edge of tears. I'm like, I have a little cry in my throat and just been like emotionally beat up in this interview in a good way. A, a lot of really, uh, I do want to ask one follow-up question though, that came to my mind. We heard all throughout this conversation about you and Moose, you and Moose, you and Moose. We wrote this, I said this, he played this on his piano. 
was this 100% co-written you and him, or was there somebody else that, oh, by the way, Bruce, before we stop, please let me mention John Doe, who co-wrote on such and such yes, a song. Yes, we actually had two other co-writers on this record. Everything, every song on here is Moose and I, uh, with the exception of a tune called, sorry, with a tune called uh, Just Another Day, which we wrote with Don Sampson, who is a phenomenal songwriter. He wrote Midnight in Montgomery. He wrote Waiting on a Woman. He is a future Hall of Famer, no doubt. He's fabulous. In fact, he's here with us at the Frank Brown. We're doing sessions with him. Um, and then we actually wrote uh, the song Storytelling Time with James LeBlanc. He is uh, from Muscle Shoals. We wrote the song inside Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals in Rick Taylor's office. Okay. I know. I'd never been to Muscle Shoals, ever. And Moose was like, we should go to Muscle Shoals and write with James. And I was like, okay. So we drive up to Muscle Shoals and uh, we go to Fame. And I'm just like in awe because I'm thinking of all of the things that have happened in that studio over the years. And it's just, you know, dripping with Aretha and all this wonderful things. And we go upstairs to write and they're like, oh, come up here. It's up the stairs and around the corner. I'm like, okay. And I'm just thinking we're going to a room, you know. We walk into Rick Taylor's office and sit down, and it's as it is. I don't even think they've picked up anything since the day he left it. Like there are cassette tapes laying on the desk, and I was like, "This is where we're writing. This is where it's at." And that, so that's the song "Storytelling Time" that was written in Rick Hall's office in Muscle Shoals. I mean, what left is there? You know, at, at this point, it's going to be like we're going to become best of friends, and you're going to message me, and you're going to go, "So Ed Sheeran heard my interview <laughs> with you," and, yeah, and I'm yeah. going to go, "Wait a second, good for you, but he was listening to my podcast. How awesome is that?" Wow, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. Congratulations on the new thank album. Thank you very much. So great to meet you. Really enjoyed it, and, and thank you for making time to be here. This is just really wonderful, and I, and I wish you continued success. Thank you very much, and thank you to all of your listeners, and thank you again just for doing what you do and allowing people like me to, to have a voice. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thank you, though, for saying that. That will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to singer, songwriter, recording artist Tia Goins. Do visit her official website at tiagoins.com. Again, I will put a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Her new album is called All Over the Map and is available right there on her website. It's not just digital, by the way. There are physical copies, CDs that you can purchase. As I mentioned before, she is very much on social media. I have followed Tia on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I'm sure she would appreciate you doing the same. You heard us talk about her YouTube channel. Do subscribe there and then watch and like the videos on there. For that matter, tell Tia you heard her and her music. And now hear this entertainment. Remember that while you can and should also follow Tia on Spotify, the better way to support her is to purchase downloads of her music from the likes of Apple Music or Amazon. She has links for both of those on TiaGoins.com as well. Keep up with Tia online so you can see where and when you can go see her perform live. Be reminded that if you or someone you know is in a position where you or they get interviewed on radio, TV, podcasts, etc., or should be getting interviewed or interviewed more, then the online class that I launched is a great resource to benefit more from those efforts that you or they are making. This is in a go-at-your-own-pace format, so you don't have to worry about a date and time not working with your schedule. At interviewtipscourse.com, there are videos and PDF downloads that will all help you towards getting better results, which means more sales, more downloads, more clients, more bookings, whatever your desired goal is for getting interviewed. Don't keep doing interviews and coming away feeling it was a waste of your time. Invest in yourself and your career. Go to interviewtipscourse.com now and get started. That will do it for episode 407. Thank you so much for listening. I'll send you out today with another song from Tia Goins. This is from her new album and the track that she just talked about. It's called Untangled. Use I love you Like a weapon Draw me in and cut me like a knife You keep your secrets All you give me A guilt and confusion wrapped up tight Every time I try to leave, you grab hold and pull me back like a puppet on a string, and it's tied around my neck. You're a weight on my soul, cause I gave you control. I can't climb out of this mess. 
That's not my way to try and hurt you. But I'm hanging by the end of my rope. I've tried untying the tie that binds us. My heart's been gone, but my mind won't let me go. Every time I try to leave, you grab hold and pull me back. I'm like a puppet on your string, and it's tied around my neck. You're a weight on my soul, 'cause I gave you control. Can't climb out of this mess. I've gotta find a way to get untangled. Like a puppet on your string, and it's tied around my neck. 